1: and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV online and apps coming up on episode 23 of the World Soccer Talk podcast we discuss our opinions about which of, which will be the most popular european soccer league on us tv in the next decade our analysis of NBC's trip to England and Fox's coverage of MLS and Champions League from this past week, plus important news for cord cutters who want NBC, and much, much more, including questions from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, Kartik, let's dive right into, uh, what we've been watching this past week. And, um, the big one, and, and we, we previewed this last week was, uh, NBC's coverage, uh, Premier League, Premier League, road trip, uh, to England for, was about three days of coverage. They were there, I think, about four days, uh, doing some prep. But, uh, what's your f- initial thoughts on this one compared to previous years? And, and, uh, let us know which bits and pieces that y- you got to see.
2: Yeah, I, I I watched basically the whole thing. The uh, no, the absence of Arlo White was noticeable. Obviously, his wife was having a medical procedure. He announced on Twitter, and uh, Steve Bauer had to do double duty. He was he was the uh, host in the gantry, and then as well uh, calling each of the matches where they were on location. So uh, busy weekend for Steve Bauer. He did very well as he always does, and I thought was. Uh, uh, was uh, on on the mark, particularly considering they were rotating partners for him. Right, every uh, every broadcast. Now, of course, he's worked with all of these guys, whether it be in the studio or uh, uh, in a, in a broadcast before. I, I liked the inclusion of Phil Neville on Saturday at White Hart Lane. That was a, a nice touch. Not someone we always see on U.S. television. We see a lot of them, hear a lot of him, but I thought that was very good. Uh, my 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 thinking was that you got a really um, interesting perspective with uh with graham lusso and lee dixon serving as essentially studio analysts during the weekend it just kind of a different take on um you know it's funny how we kind of got into this with robbie musto in the interview we did last week with him um, how you approach things differently if you're going to be a commentator an analyst in a studio or even if it's an on-site studio like this was and how Uh, you have more time to kind of analyze and make your points than um, you do necessarily when you're the co-commentator on a broadcast. And Graham Rousseau is a very intellectual, very articulate, sees the game in a way that that many others don't. And I really enjoyed having him be able to deliver uh, 30, 45 second responses, even minute responses to Bauer, steve bauer and rebecca lowe's questioning so I, I really enjoyed that i thought lee dixon excelled in the role also it's a role he's had previously at different networks in the uk but um i, I like the change up and, I, and it's, it's one of those things where it was so good that I, i'm disappointed we don't get to see this maybe once a month or once every two months with uh robbie musto as the co-commentator who was excellent kyle martino as the co-commentator who is also excellent, Robbie Earle, who has a background of, of uh, being a co-commentator on Premier League games. I think when the Premier League first became popular in this country, we heard Robbie Earl's voice a lot on, on a international feed broadcasts that came over Fox Soccer Channel and Satanta Sports. So those of us who've watched the league for a long time are accustomed to him, to him doing those games. And um, Dixon and Lasso as a as studio analysts, who who can they can elaborate more on their, their points. And then, of course, there was the uh, the interviews uh, capped off by Arsene Wenger coming out. Obviously, Lee Dixon, a who played for him. And when you're making the tactical change three at the back, uh, Wenger, of course, jokes, well, I may not have to do that if I have Dixon uh, back there, like Eli- and Steve Bold and when, when I came into Arsenal. So a uh, really good weekend, and it was um, so impressive to see the likes of Mauricio Pochettino, Eddie Howe, uh, Arson Wenger and uh, prominent players Stuart Downing uh, etc come out and uh, Harry Kane come mm-hmm. out and talk to them
1: yep my my thoughts on this one was that uh, I, I think the star of the show this past weekend was uh, Steve Bauer and it just showed uh, how much uh, of an asset he is to NBC Sports I mean not only he was multi versatile. So he stepped in for, um, Ola White in terms of the commentary. Um, Steve, actually Steve and I, th- I think Ola was going to do m- much of the commentaries and Steve was going to do the more the pitch side hosting. So, yeah, st- so yeah. Steve Bauer did the commentary and then he ran down from the gantry to, to the pitch to do a pitch side, uh, as a host. Uh, in previous weeks, we've seen him come on, on the show as, as an analyst kind of from, from the BBC studios sharing his opinions and the latest news. Um, but, I mean, to me, to me, I mean, he did a fantastic job, uh, doing all of that. Arlo White, it's a shame that he wasn't there in terms of, um, his wife having surgery. Um, hopefully she's, she's getting better. Uh, to be honest though, I, I didn't miss Arlo that much. I mean, I, I like him. I, I just don't think he's the greatest things in sliced bread. And I think without Ola White, um, they were able to scramble and do the best that they they could without him. But there wasn't a big miss. Um, if there was a miss, it was sometimes – actually, I think it was like halftime. I think it was halftime on pitch side at Old Trafford. And um, it was, I think, Robbie Earle and Graham Lasseau, uh on the pitch. And then, uh, I guess, Steve Bauer uh, wasn't able to come down for the pitch side for that one, and then so Robbie Earl had a host a little bit. And he was a little bit unsure of himself. He's he's not used to be in that role as kind of a pitch side host, so it's a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, he he did fine, but you could definitely tell that.
2: And uh, which game was it that he was essentially by himself at, at one point? Uh, not even with Lasso. Was it the Monday game? Because uh, Steve Bauer, yes, it was the Monday game because Steve Bauer had to run down and yeah. uh, do pitch side. So Robbie Earl was left by himself for commentary after the match and Rebecca Lowe threw it back to him and it was just him
1: yeah yeah I, and actually that that part I thought he did well I, I just that on the pitch whether he was nervous or whether he just wasn't used to being kind of that pitch side host um, it was a little bit it, it was a little bit uncomfortable it, it was fine it worked out okay um, but that was the only over the entire weekend that was the only weak, weakness i saw and, I, and then i thought in terms of you were missing Arlo White in that instance. Where if Arlo was was on the page, she'd be able to kind of face the camera a little bit more and, and to- uh, hand it over to Robbie but, to get his opinion. But opinions. this
2: this begs the question, though. I mean, and we're very comfortable with Arlo White and his his style of commentary. Or, or a lot of people are comfortable with it, the, the the kind of radio uh, introduction, a, a, lot, a kind of a lot more. Um, Elaboration on commentary, perhaps, than a Martin Tyler, etc. Steve Bauer has his own style, and uh, obviously, uh, Bauer, you just Gone through it. He does. He does. His, he does three different things for them. He serves as an analyst from the BBC studio during the course of the season, giving tidbits, uh, news, and analysis and commentary. Uh, he can serve as a host, as a studio host, uh, as a pitch side host, as we've seen him. Uh, that, that's the role I think he's been used most uh, in most of NBC. And then he can serve as a match commentator. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you sense any difference in style and maybe preference for the listening audience? Uh, Bauer versus White because I think now everybody is very comfortable with Steve Bauer. It's as if uh, two seasons ago when there were games that Steve Bauer would do, people would notice and say, oh, well, Arlo White's not there. It's Steve Bauer. This weekend, I didn't see those sorts of tweets. I said, oh, yeah, it's just natural. Steve Bauer's calling Manchester United-Chelsea. Well, that's kind of expected.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think it's one of those things that I think Arlo White, I think what we have learned from this past weekend is that uh He's not irre- irreplaceable. So, I mean, if, if something happened down the road where Arlo got picked up by Turner Sports, as an example, uh, Steve Bauer could fit into that role comfortably and be in some, in some ways more, more versatile in terms of, uh, the types of things he, he, he can do. Uh, of course, he, he does work for BBC Sport too. So, you mean, so, you mean, they probably would have to offer him a full-time position, uh, with NBC Sports. Um, I think, I, I think, I don't know. To, to me, I think, I think we're all now kind of used to Steve Bauer and we're comfortable. And I think there's, there seems to be more fans of Steve Bauer than there are of Ola White, uh, in terms of just the comments we hear, uh, either on social media or on, on worldsoccertalk.com. I think, I think they're both good. They both have different styles. And I think as a team, as an approach, um, it works really, really well t- together. Um, and having Steve play back up at the times or, or play the lead role if, if Ola's not available. But all in all, I think the, the one thing I kind of got from this past weekend, Karthik, was that uh, just what a good team they have at NBC Sports. There's a really good chemistry. Uh, it seems natural and authentic. Um, sometimes with Fox Sports, it seems forced, where you have kind of Warren Barton, who doesn't seem to get along with Stuart Holden on set. Lallis, who doesn't seem to get on with Friedel on set that much. And they're kind of almost like thrown together. Like a pack of wolves and time to sort themselves out. But with with NBC, it, it definitely feels like a family with you know, Kyle, Rebecca, the two Robbies. Lee Dixon, Graham Um it just feels like an extended family for the viewer. So it's it's a really comfortable viewing experience as a viewer watching these games, and then watching the pre-match. I mean, halftime, post-match. I mean, those are things we look forward to sometimes, just as much as the games. And you can't say that about other broadcasters. Um, you w- you want to listen to what they have to say. Uh, but you also feel an attachment uh, to them and kind of a, a camaraderie uh, that they have between them. It seems natural, and that's something I don't think you can find anywhere else in in, in the U.S. in terms of soccer coverage.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how much of the Fox uh, dynamic is contrived and how much of it is genuine. Yeah, disagreeing and not not liking each other, but uh, that that's uh, that's I think a a style that Fox has cultivated. But yes, there's a this kind of a very family. Uh, feel to it, which is, it's like television of yesteryear in the United States or, or in Great Britain, where uh, you have somebody who comes into your home once a week or twice a week and, and you feel very comfortable with and very soothing uh, it, watching them give give coverage and you have this, this level of trust in them. And I think the NBC studio team has achieved that uh, mm-hmm. through the course of these last four years. And there were... People who want to see their exploits on the road. There were people who were tuning into Facebook Live to check out and and Twitter and everything to check out Arlo uh, Graham and uh, and Lee's excellent adventure the, the day that they were racing through London doing two games in one in one day. And I can't imagine that happening with with a crew from Fox or a crew from ESPN or, or from whoever else. So uh, they have developed that, and and I felt like it was just a good uh, a feel good weekend. I just wish they could they could do it more because I want to emphasize again, I enjoyed the change of pace with Lee Dixon and Graham Rousseau, both of whom are very seasoned and very good at articulating and elaborating on the points they make. Mm-hmm. And they don't always get the chance to do that during the course of a match in a studio yeah. or in a pitch-side setting and having Busto, Earl, and Martino as co-commentators and both Kyle Martino and Robbie Earl have a lot of experiences. Actually, Robbie Musto does too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times it was calling games off of uh, studio, but he did a, uh, if you used to watch A or La Liga online, I mean, if you watched it on, on, uh, television, you didn't necessarily see him, but if you watched it online, you are used to Robbie Musto's voice, uh, in, in the late, uh, 2000s. This is in the United States only, but, um, so they all have an experience with it, and as we heard from Robbie Musto last week, he'd like he'd like to do more of it, and, and I'd like to hear his voice more on those broadcasts, and, and same with Kyle and Robbie. That doesn't mean having them call games off studios from Stanford. That means flying them to the U.K., and if uh, there's a weekend or two where you can fly Lee Dixon and Graham Lousseau to the States, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that that would work as well.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things, though, too. Like, uh, Gary Lineker's kind of dropped off the face of the earth in terms of the NBC broadcast. The, the, they never announced anything officially. And he did he, the first couple of seasons. He was very involved in terms of being kind of the on-site host for games yeah. now and again. Um. I, I miss that. I, like, I love Gary Lineker, but but in some ways, though, too, that uh, this team—I mean, from this this entire weekend—I mean, I think all of them were or uh, on their A game. I mean, there was times where Lee Dixon, whether he was in the studio or on pitch sides, I mean, just some great comments, some great observations. Uh, you go down the list. I mean, all of them uh, played played an A an A game, and it was fantastic to watch. Um, yeah, I think it was one of those things. It's also,
2: actually, the point on Lineker. Lineker and Bauer both, uh, work for the BBC, don't do live broadcasts, but they do do Match of the Day. So, I think the ability to use both those guys, not Lineker anymore, although he's still producing documentaries, which, my understanding, air first on NBC. Mm-hmm. So, there's still some contractual uh, arrangement. Uh, my, uh, just, so, our listeners know, the Behind the batch series, from what I've been told, have aired first in the United States, all three of them, which are from Lineker's production company, uh, for NBC, and then you see them in the UK. So, they're actually produced initially for American television by Gary Lineker. So, there's some, still some arrangement he has with NBC. Point being, though, uh, you're able to get those two guys, uh, and now just Bauer because the BBC doesn't show live games on, um, on, the weekends, mm-hmm. the, um, the 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 issue with cr- getting more talent, I think, for NBC uh, increasing the number of talent would be because BT and Sky have the bulk of the rest of the of, of the uh, personnel, and they do show live games.
1: One of the things I, I just remembered, Kartik, that I loved about this past weekend was. Um, just the, uh, not just the interviews. So the, I mean, interviews with Pochettino and Wenger. I mean, huge, huge coups to get those interviews, but just the sweeping camera. You were seeing like as Pochettino was kind of walking down from the player's tunnel all the way over to the desk, kind of the, the floating camera, it seemed The kind just was following him all the way through. Um, and the live handover in Pochettino being introduced to, to the, uh, the talent there. Same thing with the Wenger when he was kind of, uh, he was doing an interview for Arsenal TV. Um, the the official Arsenal TV Um, and then you can see as soon as he was finished like you mean the PR person kind of said okay right Arsenal this way please Um, and that was great and kind of just the way that um, you really felt like you were pitch side I mean even just the way that the the cameras went around the town so you the back of it how
2: about right before the Chelsea Man United game when uh, it seemed like W- w- did Steve Bauer have to retrieve a ball or two that had come his way, or was it, uh, <laughs> uh Graham Lassow? One of them, yeah, remember that? And that was, uh, yep. that, that, that you really felt it. And yeah. they were able to, um, oh, and they were alive. Okay, this is really significant. They were alive on camera when Graham Lassow seems distracted. He's pointing. Mm-hmm. And what was he pointing at? Alonso going off, uh, injured pre match. Wow. Going wow. back into the dressing room. Yep. You don't get that. You, you, that. That was unbelievable. I forgot to highlight that moment, but that was. That showed the value of a pitch side desk in a pitch side studio, which I'm guessing that day Sky didn't have. Sky probably right. saw Alonzo go off after NBC did.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and Sky probably had just the, the studio uh, I mean, the studio in uh, Old Trafford, kind of I mean, usually halfway up the stadium, and uh, probably saw, saw it maybe a couple of minutes after it, after it actually happened. But, but I mean, that's the thing, that for even for viewers who have never been to these stadiums, it really pulls you into the stadium, you get kind of a feeling, kind of a look at a really close up view that you would never get anywhere else. Um, the one thing I missed, Kartik, and I'm not sure if you caught it too, was uh, so post-match for Man United against Chelsea at Old Trafford. Were they able to get any uh, post-match interviews? I missed that part.
2: Uh, they were, and, and um, it's escaping me uh, who they got offhand now, but they definitely got did they get a Chelsea player, even though Chelsea had been uh, had lost? I'm, I'm thinking they had Gary Cahill. Uh, that they okay. did have. And then I want to say they had a, a United player or two. It wasn't Ashley Young, who had captained the side, by the way, in a surprise moment. It wasn't Fellaini. I can't, I can't recall who it was. But they did get someone from United. And then they um, got Antonio Conte also uh, after wow. the match. Wow. And Conte was um, – he was uh, – uh, Basically saying, and, and it was very revealing. His interview basically saying, "Hey, we, uh, uh, you, you can't blame the formation. Obviously, Alonzo went off, and they had to switch to." an unconventional or not an unconventional formation, unconventional formation for them. Cause they have been going through five two most of the season. And, um, he, he basically said, look, we, we practice three at the back, four at the back, five at the back. That's not an excuse. So, mm-hmm. uh, this weekend they had Conte, uh, Conte was less memorable cause they didn't win, but they had Conte. They had, um, Obviously, uh, Wenger, which we talked about, and they had Pochettino, yep. who was uh, who was fantastic. One one takeaway was also the joy, and this is why I think Pochettino has such a connection with his players. Mm-hmm. The joy he expressed in that interview with yep. with Vincent Janssen scoring a goal,
1: yeah, um, yeah,
2: and that was that was nice to see. I mean, that was a manager who who was who was genuinely happy, a player that has had a very rough go of it in England, now is really beginning, I think, to fit in as a supplementary player who can do other things other than score goals. We thought he, when he was signed he was going to be an out-and-out number nine uh, goal-scoring threat, which is, I think, what Pochettino thought he was getting when he signed him. But Pochettino has been able to fit him into the side doing some other things running off the ball, drifting back into midfield and linking up uh, things that, that help uh, Delhi Ali and, and Harry Kane score goals. And now he got a goal himself, finally, in the run of play. And the joy that the manager expressed in that interview was something that you don't get in the post-match Sky uh, interview with, the, with uh, uh, Jeff Shreves or whoever it is with a microphone and, and just kind of that forced interview at the end of the match. That was something that I think came out because of the pitch side studio after the match.
1: Yeah, yeah, the chemistry between the, the not just the managers and the NBC talent, but also the players—they felt very comfortable. The questions were intelligent questions. There were uh, some of them thought-provoking questions. Uh, some of the answers, actually, from uh, Pochettino, especially, uh, weren't your kind of uh, your trained PR uh, robo- robotic answers. You mean you could te- definitely tell he was passionate. He was kind of honest. He was kind of sharing his thoughts, and and, and, I, and that was refreshing.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, just as an aside, on Pochettino, uh, three years ago when he was still managing Southampton, it, it seemed he couldn't speak English. Remember, yeah, and he wouldn't yeah. give interviews in English. He is so good at elaborating his his emotions and his thoughts in English. I, I have to assume he actually knew the language all along because he articulates himself in English better than some English managers do. His emotions, his his joy about certain things, either that or he's just learned it learned it really well. And really, I was impressed by his English in that interview. Quite frankly,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too, and, and maybe it's it was one of those things where when he was uh, having the translator, maybe he knew it, but he wanted just just as a manager, like the way he uh, has his team playing, he wants to master it. He wants to be kind of uh, on his A game, uh, so to speak, in terms of when he's given interviews. Um, it definitely seems that way. But yeah, all in all, um, I, I thought it was a fantastic weekend. The one thing I, I did miss a little bit was um, Turf Moor, the Turf Moor one from a couple of years ago. I still remember. Vividly. But at Turf Moor, at Burnley's Ground, is such a unique stadium anyway, kind of an old-fashioned stadium. Um, and I was missing that a little bit. So the Riverside and having um, Robbie Musto, they had about like a, like a three or four minute segment, given a, a behind the scenes tour uh, of the Riverside Stadium. That was nice. I enjoyed that and seeing the the old uh, gates, the Middlesbrough uh, FC gates from Essen Park. Uh, that was a nice touch. But the only thing was just kind of all three stadiums. Well, White Hart Lane's an old one now, too, though, but they were more your modern stadiums. And I was kind of missing that part, or at least with Burnley, you'd see kind of the background, kind of the, uh, you mean the, uh, the, the Lancashire rolling hills and kind of the scenery part of it. That I, I vividly, I, re- I still remem- remember to this day. And that just, uh, I, I just loved that part. This one, not so much in terms of at least the, the locales, but, I mean, it, it, it's it's football after all. That's the priorities. It's not a, a, a British culture show.
2: Yeah, although I think those old grounds to add a certain character, particularly for American audiences who may not get that. The Riverside was maybe the first in the new wave of stadiums, kind of like the yep. Camden Yards is for baseball. And so that's... Uh, that, that, that still has a certain charm to it because I think it was really the first of those stadiums that popped up in the 90s and 2000s, like Camden Yards is in baseball with Baltimore. That was the first one, and then there was a succession of ballparks that, that kind of uh, mimicked the feel of Camden Yards. I think the Riverside was the first. It's not a cookie cutter ground, but it's certainly not, uh, doesn't have the character of some of the, um, the older grounds, and then you had uh, Pride Park open in Derby, I think, a year later, and and, uh, you just had a succession of them after. Mm -hmm. So I I totally, I can completely relate to that, and it it was different than being at a turf more. But at the same time, I think there was something neat about being at White Hart Lane and the the crew getting to see it, and Kyle Martino said it too. Uh, My first trip to White Hart Lane, thank goodness I got here before uh, it was gone. So there was something that we will look back on in the next um, year or two, or probably next, maybe longer than that, five years, and say, okay, that was great that they were there mm-hmm. for one of the final uh, home matches for Spurs in That's the league at, at White Hart Lane.
1: That's true. So, so, Karthik, what else have you been watching uh, this past week? Yeah,
2: a lot of NWSL. WorldSoccerTalk.com, we've got a story that I wrote on uh, Go90, which is the new uh, streaming broadcast partner for NWSL, and then also Lifetime which is owned by A&E, and A&E is now an investor in NWSL. I thought the Lifetime broadcast with Jen Hildreth and Allie Wagner was fantastic, uh, and, and as was their studio show, uh, not studio show, on-site pregame show and postgame shows. Very well done. Graphics were clean. Production was good. Uh, Jen Hildreth is a pro. She's been doing this for a decade, calling women's soccer games. She's the, I know a lot of listeners may know Jen Hildreth from being a sideline reporter for college sports uh, games in uh, college football college basketball uh, in the u.s who don't watch women's soccer might know her from that but she's actually been basically the voice of professional women's club soccer in this country for the last decade so she's very good uh, i don't remember her working with ally wagner maybe she did a little bit during the uh, women's world cup on fox in um 2015 but they were very crisp a lot of continuity together uh, on the broadcast now Go 90, I had kind of a different take on. I missed the local native announcers, and uh, a shameless plug for another podcast, but I was on another podcast with our former co-host, Richard Farley, here at World Soccer Talk, uh, uh, this week, and we got into a little bit of a discussion about that. Richard likes the fact that they've gone with neutral, league-based, centralized announcers. I don't. Mm -hmm. So what happened with Go 90, Chris – is that the league has centralized its production and its um, announcer pool. They're flying in announcers to call games off of a studio in Fort Lauderdale, off a monitor uh, from the studio in Fort Lauderdale, and they're neutral announcers, and every game has the same graphics, the same feel. And I think in a league that's still relatively young, and it's still trying to develop its identity, uh, the identity of its clubs, that's a bad call. Now, if you're trying to develop the league identity, I guess it. Uh, I guess that's fine. But there wasn't the kind of institutional historical knowledge of uh, Sky Blue FC, of the Chicago Red Stars, of the Boston Breakers, your legacy clubs, so to speak, mm-hmm. in women's soccer in this country that I would have liked to have heard from those broadcasters, and that I was always hearing last season when I would check out games on YouTube. So that, to me, was disappointing. I know that they'll work on that, but I was, um I was. Uh, uh, I'm happy about that because I think what, what, what you had was um, an effort by NWSL – I don't think art- I articulated this that well in that article – to not talk as much about the historical legacy of some of the clubs that predate NWSL. A number of the mm-hmm. clubs in the league came from WPS and went through the USLW League for a year or two in between those two leagues, and – um I think there was a concerted effort not to talk about what Sky Blue did in 2009 or 2010 or what the Boston Breakers, whose legacy goes back to the old WUSA, uh, uh,
1: did. So, but Carter, um, here, here we go again, though, too, because it's the same thing with Major League Soccer in terms of not wanting to talk about the NASL teams, about, yeah, I mean, the yeah. old Seattle Sounders. And these, are the and, s- and
2: these are the same clubs. I mean, the, at least there you can say there was a break, and yeah. yeah, they're using the same names, but they're not really the same clubs. These are the exact same clubs yep. as there were in um, WPS in, in, in those three or four cases and there was a I think I think I sense the concerted effort not to talk about it because they used to talk about it a lot last season.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and and to me, I, I mean, it's, it's history. Um, yes, it's part of, uh, in quotation marks, a failed history. In terms of, I mean, that, that league is no longer mm-hmm. around. Yeah, right. But but it, it's it's a development. It's it's the life cycle of, of soccer in the United States. We know that. I mean, leagues have come, leagues have gone, and and you know, I mean it's kind of a fi- survival of the fittest. To, but to ignore that, you mean to me is is a shame. Especially, I, I mean, I think the history part of it, or at least the local part of it. Is important during lulls in the game. You mean when, when there's nothing happening, and you want to kind of. Uh, you mean what more is there to talk about? Sometimes it's good to bring up kind of, especially for lifetime viewers too. Though too, in terms of these are a whole ton of new viewers that probably have never watched women's soccer. Uh, it's an opportunity to kind of yeah. educate them a little bit, almost like NBC did when they got the, M- uh, the Premier League rights. Where they had kind of a lot of, uh, magazine shows and kind of a lot of information, kind of like how-tos and, you mean, backgrounds on these different teams and the history and why it's important to, 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 you mean, to understand the history in terms of where these teams have come from. I think it's, uh, if anything, it's a, it's a good story to tell. Um, I, I mean, N- NWSL should not be ashamed of kind of the past. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that would be something. I, I didn't get a chance to watch any of these games this past weekend. Um, I was, I- busy. But um, I, 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 think I, have, it, I think it's a mistake if they're just trying to get basically kind of st- sterile commentators in a sterile environment, calling things off the monitor that have no idea about the, the, the history or, or t- tradition.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and last point on this, I, I'll, I'll say that there, is, there are political considerations here, which are the internal battles that are going on within that league between legacy teams like the teams I mentioned and the newer teams that are connected to men's teams, such as Orlando and Portland, Orlando and Portland actually were the two teams featured on Lifetime this weekend, Houston, and now North Carolina, which took a legacy team, Western New York flash that goes back to WPS days and uh, has rebranded as North Carolina courage and are connected to an NASL team. So there is that little internal battle within NWSL. And I think the, the unwillingness to really talk about the histories of some of these clubs probably relates to that, since it is a league broadcast, unlike what it used to be last season, which were individual teams doing their own broadcasts. Uh, moving on, a lot of uh, championship for me this weekend. Ipswich-Newcastle on uh, Easter Monday, Bank Holiday Monday, uh, Darby-Huddersfield. I watched uh, some of the Newcastle-Leeds game on Friday. I think BN is doing a tremendous job of bringing us to Football League as best they can. Yeah. Uh, if if the right stay with the in for the league cup of the football league, uh, that's probably a win. Now this is this is the big um cash 22. If the right stay there, it's probably a big win for those of us who like to check out the championship from time to time mm-hmm. and see what's happening particularly at the end of the season when we've got massive promotion races and saw that derby goal late and Huntersfield not um not Uh, put the pressure on Newcastle, and it appeared like they were going to close the gap for that final automatic promotion spot. But if these rights, Football League and League Cup rights, go to an ESPN or a Turner or uh, to a Fox, then I think you're in a position where you will probably have more access and accessibility for League Cup matches involving big Premier League teams. But you will end up losing a lot of the ability to watch the football league, particularly the championship in this country so mm-hmm. uh when when fans say they want the league cup off of b n and they want it on e s p n and i've I've heard that from a few people think about the fact that the contracts are linked, and i'm not I don't think e s p n is going to be showing you an Ipswich Newcastle game in the uh middle of the morning on a Monday. Yep. I just have to say that. So
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I I watched the uh Newcastle against Leeds game on on the Friday. Very entertaining. 52,000 uh, crowd there. Great atmosphere. And, uh, a great end to the game with Leeds coming back to tie it 1-1. But, but you're right, Kartik, because, um, I mean, ABN Sports had on Friday, Good Friday, had a triple header of championship games. On Easter Monday, they had a triple header of, um, uh, championship games. And you're not going to get that on a Fox or an ESPN. So in, in some ways, and, and actually BN Sports has prioritized now the championship above, uh, Ligue 1. Unless it's PSG. Um, but now it's more likely that there's more and more games that, that are being shown on BN Sports, the English language channel, than before. Most of them that started the season, most of them were on BN Sports Connect, unless there was no other game going on. Uh, but nowadays, actually, in the last few months, I think, uh, BN Sports has seen the numbers. They're not astronomical by any means, but they're actually better than Liga and, um, they've, they've been pretty promising. So
2: and they're better than the Bundesliga in some cases too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so to so to me, I, I'd love um, the championship to stay with being sports. I think they've done a good job. They don't uh, interfere with the broadcasts. I mean, basically, they're not, I mean, the, John Champion does a lot of the, the commentaries, which which I enjoy, but uh, they're not getting in the way the, of the raw feed, the raw broadcast. They kind of just let it go and they'll have maybe a host just to promo it and that's about it.
2: And they've really learned because the the first year or two people who follow me on Twitter closely remember I was badgering every weekend about not showing championship games, showing this league, that league, uh, repeats of games uh, from Spain or France instead of uh, championship games and and trying to convince them that there are – significant followings for a lot of these teams because they're former Premier League teams and that they have American fans well now I think they've realized that they they show Fulham an awful lot by the way because I think they know that angle and they've now had Fulham in the championship for three years and uh, they may lose them after this year There's, there's a there's a decent chance Fulham gets promoted if they get they can hold on to sixth and and go through a playoff with uh a field team and a reading team both that are i think pretty shaky and and then leeds you just never know or, or sheffield wednesday so they have a decent chance of getting promoted uh, and but bean has a couple of anchor clubs that do have followings Leeds, fulham newcastle uh, I, I think uh yeah well newcastle will be gone after the season but <laughs> uh, uh, they, that was a one-year thing but they have a few of these darby has a following i think there's a curiosity of Huddersfield because they have an American manager, German-American manager. So there's uh, an interest among American soccer fans in how Huddersfield's doing With uh, as long as David Wagner is managing there. My sense is someone will poach him sooner or later uh, with the job he's done at Huddersfield. Uh, we've heard, obviously, Eric Winalda speculate that it would be the, the U.S. Soccer Federation. But I, I, don't, I mean, he might want that. I might want that, too. But I, I, right. we know how the USSF operates. I don't I think they're probably going to find an MLS coach. But the point is, BN has done a really good job at elevating the championship. So those of you that talk about the the League Cup and are just uh, want to see Arsenal versus Liverpool in the League Cup fourth round on... Uh, on espn think about what it does to the championship and the exposure of the championship those games will all be thrown on espn 3 and that'll be kind of the end of it
1: mm-hmm. yeah and with uh, being sports too uh, pretty much every single league cup game that's available and every single championship game that's available because uh, not all of them are televised live but the ones that are available are available through Bein sports or being sports connect um, so, and actually for listeners who haven't had a chance to follow the championship much this season, I mean, now is the time. I mean, in terms of the the playoff re- race heating up, Newcastle this still has to get, I think, about five points in the last few games to, to get automatically qualified and um, promoted, sorry. Um, but the playoff race uh, is hot and heavy, and there's a bunch of teams that they're fighting to try to get a chance in the playoffs. And of course, right. we, we all love the playoff, uh, the championship playoff uh, final.
2: Final thing for me was obviously Champions League on Tuesday, the pregame show. They bring Juan Carlos Osorio in to discuss all this, these CONCACAF and Mexico U.S. issues on a Champions League pregame show on Fox. And again, I just, they, I I go with your suggestion, Chris. Just rebranded the Fox Soccer Report, especially now that they don't, they don't have anything invested in UEFA. They're losing the rights to, um, to to Turner, uh, the Turner. Champions League to Turner, right? And are, are they? Uh, do they even have any uh, international UEFA rights? Or are all those go to ESPN after 2018? Uh, I uh, think they, they,
1: they, they share they share some of those with uh, with ESPN. So I think Fox will show some of those games, um, especially kind of the qualifiers. Um, but most of them will be ESPN, but, but some of but them the Nations, will be But the
2: Nations League or Nations Cup, whatever they're calling it, ESPN. I think, an ESPN property, right? Yeah. So they're basically out of the European, the continental football game, obviously beyond the Bundesliga, right. uh, uh, starting in 2018. So it seems like they have less and less interest in promoting these matches. Uh, and uh, that's um, – we'll see today, because obviously Juve-Barcelona, we're taping this Wednesday morning, uh, you'll, listen, you'll probably listen to this after that game is over, that second leg is over from the Camp New. but I, I, I'm wondering if it's going to be, if they're going to go with a half an hour of analysis of that and Dortmund-Monaco, a, a game I think a lot of people are interested in uh, because um, folks like watching Monaco. I think now that Wester's out of the uh, competition, The neutrals are pulling for Monaco to win today Mm -hmm. and just entertain us, even if they can't win this Champions League. I think most most neutrals want them to win the Champions League, but uh, there is something very, at least from my perspective, very... Uninteresting about the Champions League when it's Bayern and Real Madrid and, uh, Barcelona. And Letty makes it more interesting, but of course they're difficult on the eye to watch from a, <laughs> from a you yeah. know, uh, entertainment standpoint, right? They're a team that just plays very defensively, but, uh, and, and Juve also.
1: But Kante, um, I think if Monaco can win, I mean, I think to me, Monaco's an exciting, uh, Well, that's, entertaining my side. that's my
2: point. That's my point. Yeah. That I think everybody, uh, for people like you and me, we're, our, our, our hopes of, Continuing this, to have interest in this competition, real interest in, and excitement about it, depend on Monaco uh, advancing and continuing to advance. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Fox will play up that angle. It seems to me that they're just not interested in doing that.
1: Yeah. Well, so so like like Kartik said we were recording this uh on Wednesday morning, so by the time you listen to this you already know who who's gone through. Uh, but say say between Barcelona and uh Juve, maybe Juve goes through and between Monaco and, and Dortmund, say if Monaco goes through, what you'll have actually Kartik, uh which is in a strange way is uh, the four teams that will be in the semi-final. Uh, of the Champions League will all be, uh, clubs that are shown on be in sports. You've got the, you know, Real Madrid, you've got, uh, U of A with Serie A, you've got Monaco with Ligue 1, and, uh, I'm forgetting a fourth one, but, but all, all those teams are, um, are, our Champions League teams yes they're in the Champions League but they, all of them will be shown on In Sports so that gives BN Sports kind of a lift and hopefully maybe marketing wise they can figure out a way to how to capitalize on that in terms of that we have four of the best teams in Europe uh, playing week in week out on BN Sports so that's a big win there going back to what you said Karthik, a minute ago about Fox Sports on the Tuesday pregame uh, show uh, I don't usually do this but I'm going to do it anyway uh, a couple of um feedback or emails from listeners. Uh, the first one actually th- is it through Twitter is uh, BPL Knoxville. And on Twitter, he said, uh, Mexico head coach seems like a good guy. But come on, it's all about European f- uh, footy on Tuesday. Fox Sports, was that necessary? And then the second one we got was from Oliver Say, uh, a comment on WolfSoccerTalk.com. And he said, uh, Fox Sports is now in full lame duck mode with the UEFA Champions League product. Uh, during the pre-match show prior to Real Madrid versus Bayern Munich, Fox Sports spent uh, eight minutes in the studio on the following. One, an interview on the set with Mexico head coach Carlos Osorio preview uh, previewing the upcoming Mexico against USA World Cup qualifier and the Confederations Cup. And then number two, a report from Grant Wall dealing with a proposed CONCACAF League of Nations tournament, which will replace friend- friendly international matches on FIFA international dates. One would expect Fox Sports to use the UEFA Champions League product as a laboratory in the next uh, next 13 months as it prepares for FIFA World Cup 2018. And in some ways we've seen this, Kartek, we've been talking about this since, what, October, September, October, basically with um, uh, Fox doing this, and, and now it seems to be even more so. And like, and like you said just a minute ago, maybe just call it Fox Soccer Report, um, have it be 30 minutes of just the latest news, you mean uh, reports from Grant Wall, some interviews, et cetera, and then maybe have 15 minutes of pre pregame uh, Champions League coverage and then kick off the game at
2: 2.45. Yeah, I, I think that that's the direction they're going anyway might as well just rebranded and uh that's right there was this report from grant wall about uh all this conca cap related news and this uh league of nations tournament which uh to me would be a bad thing for the united states because the united states under bob bradley and under jurgen klinsman i don't know if Bruce Arena plans to continue this but under bradley and klinsman tended to, to play a lot of friendlies against European nations or South American nations on those uh, FIFA friendly dates, and that is something that you can't you can't replace that experience with matches against CONCACAF uh, uh, nations. Quite honestly, now I know that that there is a litany of people who are apologists in this country who will call, call, who will write in and complain and say, "Oh well, yeah." uh, the, the Germans never have to travel to Honduras, or the Germans never have to travel to Costa Rica. They don't know what it's like. Well, they have to travel to, like, Moldova and Belarus and these these places that have kind of a similar fan atmosphere. But I think it, it will just create more of a dependence of U.S. soccer on CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. Um, and the important thing to note is that this is happening at a time when uh, the Canadian president of, of the FA, who is very close to the U.S. Soccer Federation, has become the president of CONCACAF. So uh, the, this, to me, this CONCACAF Nations Cup is probably a cash cow. The other thing Grant Wall reported, which I thought was interesting, was that they CONCACAF is committed to making sure the U.S. and Mexico continue to play twice in World Cup qualifiers in every four-year cycle, which... Um, hmm. I thought might be in jeopardy with the expanded World Cup with the probability that there'll be CONCACAF hosts in 2026. 20, uh, so I don't know how they're going to create that. But again, that's a cash cow. Mm-hmm. I think there were more uh, financial and uh cash considerations in how CONCACAF operates and then how Fox promotes uh, CONCACAF-related uh, uh, events and entities than there are sporting Considerations, and this is something—a discussion—I think we're going to end up having a lot over the next course of the next five to ten years. Yep,
1: yep, yeah, yeah. Even even the UEFA Nations League, which is in theory, is a good idea in terms of turning these friendlies into more co- competitive matches. And the League of Nations, same theory essentially. At the end of the day, it's a cash cow. It's, it's how do we right. market these friendly games, and you mean mm-hmm. increase the ticket prices, uh, get more TV exactly. revenue, and it, it's all about making money. Um, and,
2: I, and I think for the U.S. Soccer Federation, for me, it's no coincidence that this has happened after U.S. Soccer has had a run of a few se- years where they've had difficulty justifying the high ticket prices for friendlies that they've hosted on U.S. soil. So just last. Uh, yeah. Year in October, there was a friendly between New Zealand and the United States at RFK Stadium. A pretty good matchup. Ended up being a draw, but because it was a meaningless friendly on a FIFA international day, uh, th- there was a crowd of about six thousand at the game. And uh, I'm told in reality there were probably as many journalists and uh, soccer personnel and people who work in soccer as there were actual fans at that match. And that's what's happened in Europe as well. You go, you watch these these meaningless friendlies uh, from, from Europe uh, in that are on FIFA international dates and they, they charge exorbitant ticket prices and the stadiums are half empty. The players are, are, are going through the motions. So I think the TV networks and the confederations have concocted these these uh, new tournaments in order to try and sell that these are competitive matches. And mm-hmm. they've um, raised revenue by selling TV contracts like ESPN in this country has paid for the UEFA Cup of Nations, or whatever it's called, nations League. Uh, as if it's right. yeah, Nations League, as if it's a it's a freestanding competitive tournament, uh, international tournament, as opposed to uh, picking up for a song each individual mm-hmm. uh, meaningless friendly. So, yep. um, With- I, I don't like it personally. I don't like the direction it's going, but it, it is reality.
1: And, and it has the added benefits, or at least the, I'm not sure about the League of Nations one does, but the, the UEFA Nations League has the added benefit of promotion and relegation. So actually countries can move up and down the ladders based on how well they do. So, so that's a whole, I mean. Right.
2: And I think that that is important because, uh, again, there are a lot of, um, uh, CONCACAF people who listen and don't quite understand how it works in UEFA. And they, they scoff and talk about how easy European qualifying is, which it isn't. But the what pot you are in, for qualifying for, uh, for for the draw, actually, for uh, the Euros and for World Cup qualifying is critical. And you know this as, as being a Wales fan and being mm-hmm. Welsh, Chris. Yep. Uh, John Toshack was sweaty about getting out of pot four and getting into pot three so that they would get better draws uh, during his... Uh, most recent tenure as Wales manager, and Chris Coleman started out the same way. Or actually, Gary Speed uh, talked about the same concept. And I know when Michael O'Neill was Northern Ireland, or is still Northern Ireland manager, but when he started, that was his priority. So the Nations League is linked to what pot? That's the promotion and relegation involved. What pot you end up in? Mm-hmm. So essentially, you could work your way up if you're Northern Ireland or Wales or. Uh, let's say a Finland who's never qualified for a major tournament or a, a country like that, a Montenegro who's always knocking on the door and seems to be in pot three or pot two. You could work your way up to um, a, a higher status and an easier qualifying group for the Euros or World Cup based on how you perform in that competition. I'm not sure CONCACAF necessarily has that angle to what they're doing.
1: So I missed the uh, Leverkusen-Bayern Munich game that was on Fox on, on Saturday. My kids had a AYSO soccer game, so I missed that. But I did come back and uh, watch the Barcelona against uh, Real Sociedad game on BN Sports. Uh, Phil Shane and Ray Hudson commentating. And uh, great game. And it just goes to show in this particular game, again, how... Defensively weak Barcelona is just, it's surprising. Uh, that game was on at, at the same time as the Orlando LA Galaxy game that was also on Fox. Uh, I missed that game, but I did record it. And, um, the game itself was fine. The game, I have no complaints about, uh, quality of play on the pitch and actually pregame coverage too uh, by Fox was fine. They had, um, Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas live, uh, basically kind of pitch side in Orlando. There was a pre-match interview with uh, Kaká. They had the announcement that Real Madrid will be playing in the MLS All-Star game. And uh, then for the the actual commentary, it was uh, John Strong and Brad Friedel. And, um, yeah, no complaints. I, I, I
2: and, the, and the La Liga game, uh, I know we're going to get sure. television ratings in a, in a minute, but the La Liga game had more viewers on VN Sports in Espanol, that which is a channel that not many people get than that MLS game did on Big Fox.
1: Wow. I, the
2: Barcelona Real series yeah. yeah. game had 403,000 viewers. I
1: didn't see so that. Wow. VN
2: Sports. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah.
1: And that's the thing. I, so that that's, again, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I don't think you can blame. In previous years, um, we would have probably blamed the actual quality of the broadcast itself and say like, ah, well, Fox, there's a crappy job at doing MLS broadcasts. I don't think that's the issue, and I, I don't think we can blame that. I think it's... Well, we I, again. And we've talked about this on previous episodes. I still think it's the, the, the how. How meaningful is that game? How meaningful is that game in terms of the entire season? If I skip that game, I mean, does it matter? Uh, if I skip Barcelona against Real Sociedad, does it matter? Yes, because I mean Barcelona had to win that game to keep the close the gap with Real Madrid uh, at the race at the, for the top uh, before El Clasico. Um, I mean, in terms of how meaningful these games are, uh, I think is. To me, at least, how people are choosing, uh, which games to watch. Of course, Barcelona has Messi, so people are going to watch Messi instead of, uh, uh Orlando against LA Galaxy. But there's enough, there's enough people in the, in the United States, I think, that, uh, could switch and watch Orlando against LA Galaxy and bump up those numbers, uh, that may not be interested in, in Messi or Barcelona. Uh, but i i don 't think it 's the actual broadcast' that's the the issue I think it 's just the structure of the league in terms of you I mean most of the teams qualifying for the playoffs so what 's what's what 's the incentive to watch this game when we can wait till maybe late summer when when the going gets good and maybe maybe it 's a a race for the playoffs but we'll we 'll see uh what else did I watch so let me see if anything else jumps out at me through my notes. Uh, I watched the Leicester against, uh, Atleti game on Tuesday, Kartik, And, uh, as soon as Saul scored that goal, uh, I switched it over to Bayern against, uh, Real Madrid. At that point, I thought, okay, it's definitely over, uh, for, for Leicester. I don't see them coming back and, in, in scoring, uh, three goals. The, the Real against, uh, Bayern game, uh, it was John Strong and Brad Friedel again on the commentary. Um, no complaints about the commentary. I thought that was fine. But actually, Fox did something, so, something they haven't done in probably a year or a few years in this broadcast, which I was, uh, floored by it was, it was so uh, surprising and that was a halftime at halftime half they showed the um kind of a recap of uh, the highlights of the, the Leicester against the Le- Atleti game from the first half and what they did is they elevated the, the analysis what they did they showed a, a clip of Leicester being scored upon by Sevilla in almost an identical move to the goal that Saul scored for Atleti it was carbon copy almost to the inch uh, and in terms of the cross the header it was it was really revealing. I was like, wow. you mean, if if you're Leicester and you're looking at the tape of the Sevilla game, you're saying, okay, how do we stop this? And Atleti, I'm sure, looked at that and said, okay, well, we can go ahead and do the same thing that that Sevilla did. And it was carbon copy. And I I wonder in terms of who caught that, who actually was the person at Fox that saw that and said, wait a second, wait a second, I just saw that same goal happen a a few weeks ago in in the earlier round. And I'm wondering, uh, Karthik, if that was... uh, David Mossy, who used to be on the World Soccer Talk podcast and is one, is the Fox soccer researcher there at Fox in LA that does a lot of... Uh, he knows the game extremely well, whether it was him that caught it or whether it was somebody on, on set. But whoever it was, I thought they did a, a really good job of, uh, at that. And that was the first time in a few years that they actually did something that was like, wow, that, that's good. That's good analysis. Let's get more of that.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and they, they caught that, and uh, that's the kind of quality control... We haven't always seen from Fox in the past. So really good, good job they did there.
1: It's strange though, Kartic too. Sometimes I've sensed this before in the past, in previous years, where it was like, say, Manchester United or some, some big Premier League club, um, probably more so in the Fox soccer broadcasts of games where, um, at the end of the, the final whistle and Man United gets knocked out and, you I mean, whoever it is gets uh, through to the next round. It's uh, rather than the actual, um, talent on, on set being, Fox being excited about who won the game. They seem like kind of like down and depressed about and defeated and demoralized about, uh, about Man United being knocked out of the, of, of the actual competition. And the same thing happened, uh, on Tuesday after that, um, the Bayern lost, lost to uh, Real Madrid, the same type of feeling. Of course, this one was like very controversial in terms of the refereeing decisions, yeah. and, and that ruined the game. But but part of me just kind of sensed that they were disappointed that Bayern didn't make it through because that hurts them in terms of having the Bundesliga coverage and Bayern getting knocked out. And it's like, okay, here we go again next year. Next year, hopefully, Bayern will go pretty far because maybe that will help their uh, TV viewings for the for the Bundesliga.
2: Yeah, I think that had something to do with it. I think there was also a general uh, appreciation of Carlo Ancelotti, particularly from Eric Winalda, and a sense that that game was a t- terrible injustice, which, in my opinion, it was. And, and it was, um, you know, it's difficult to feel bad for Bayern because they've been on they've been on the receiving yeah. end of the past of uh, some some calls that have won them this competition, most notably 1975 against Leeds United in the final. Leeds one shot at winning that trophy, but. Um, yeah, yesterday was pretty unbelievable from an officiating standpoint. And it begs the question, because it was thrown on, e- on ESPN FC immediately after the game by Dan Thomas, who, by the way, used to be a presenter for Real Madrid TV, so he's not yeah. anti-Real Madrid. Uh, is this a, a, a case of UEFA wanting to get uh, Real Madrid through as far as they can? And obviously, we know what happened in the Barcelona PSG second leg. Great comeback from Barcelona. Not trying to take away from it, but... I think PSG hangs on without some of those calls, right? Mm -hmm. uh, They got the away goal, and they probably would have hung on. So, um, and I, of course, threw out on Twitter, which got a a lot of likes and retweets. uh, I hope that a like is is, uh, training with 10 men this week, because you can can expect (laughs) some hostility from the officials. Uh, Again, we're taping this before that match. But Dan Thomas threw it out on ESPN FC, and it was almost... uh, um, i think kind of accepted by craig burley and steve nickel and the panel that there is some something funny going on or just that the officials are really off their game and <laughs> you need to have video replay and that uh Ancelotti is such a gentleman that he just says that's football and 99 percent uh, of the managers would have ran it and raved raved i can't remember if it was one of if it was burley who said that or if it might have been winalda or lawless after the uh uh, on the fox broadcast, but um that's correct, but i I, I think that fo- the fox reaction of depression had to do with how that match had gone down. There have been a lot of Fox has been in this uncomfortable position, I think of having a lot of matches like that on their network. Remember the Panama Mexico game in the Gold Cup a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and how angry Eric Winalda was, just angry about the way that that game had gone down and how Panama had been eliminated. And I just think it's 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 bad luck for them that they keep having these matches. But I I sensed it was more about the officials than anything else. Not just that hey, Bayern is a, is, is a property on our network, and these other teams are on the end. I don't think that was quite it
1: yeah and in the past though too, I think uh well actually for the Barcelona kind of the um the p s g game where there were some de- definitely some questionable calls, and then this game uh, on Tuesday, I think part of it is just the the pressure from the home fans, I mean the Barcelona fans and the Real Madrid fans in those respective games, you I mean the amount of noise and it's it's t- a tough position for the referee to make a kind of a clear cut uh good decision when you've got you I mean 90,000, 80,000 fans on your back screaming and shouting at you. Uh, it's a, I wouldn't like to have that job at all. One more thing that Fox did this past week was, um, extremely surprising and probably 99.9% of our listeners uh, didn't even notice that this even happened but I happened to catch it just by by accident but uh, what Fox did on their Facebook page uh, for last week's Europa League game uh, games is what they did was actually had a Facebook live and what they did that somebody had one of the cameras and they went back uh, into the production studio and showed uh, what happens live uh, during multi-match 90 and multi-match 90 is their whip around show um it's something that they don't promote very very much it's usually on fox soccer plus and fox soccer to go and what it is is a whip around show of all the games that have been shown at that same time and they go just go from game to game to game as goals happen or incidents happen so the um the facebook live i, I enjoyed watching it it was really really good it was uh, eye opening to me to see how many people were working on making multi match 90 um, uh, basically uh, happen in the production room and um, they went through and showed um, how the staff they're, they're basically standing in the production room watching all the monitors happening for all the different games happening and just trying to see um, when, when it, whenever something happens in the game and kind of calling it out like hey you mean uh, this against Leon the game has been uh, postponed or uh, temporarily postponed due to like fan violence so, um, the interesting thing kind of behind the scenes there too is that they take great pride whenever a live goal was shown on the main multi-natch 90 broadcast. So they're kind of counting how, how many times they actually show that rather than that goal happening in a game that they're not showing. And then they have to switch to and show kind of on, on delay or, or basically a couple of minutes afterwards. Um, the other thing I enjoyed watching too was how they, they, um, tackled the issue of the Lyon-Basictus uh, Bish- uh, game in terms of it being delayed due to crowd violence. Um, one thing that uh, is showed is that they have no communication with UEFA because you expect at least having UEFA, I mean, kind of having the rights to UEFA game, that there would be a, a contact person or somebody to talk to to give them a live update or live information back. There's, what was happening. So what they had to do was rely on the same things that we do, which is looking at the TV screens, looking for, looking for any clues or hints in terms of what was happening, as well as the official Twitter accounts to get the breaking news as it was happening. So that, that was eye-opening. Uh, and also um, they did a uh, behind-the-scenes tour of uh, the Fox uh, building there, and you got to see kind of the office where Keith Costigan and Alexi Lalas were sitting in doing the, um, commentating the Andalect against Man United game, um, off the monitor. Just a small little office, similar to what, uh, BN Sports, uh, has, has used in the past um but it was good it was good i really enjoyed watching it it kind of gave us uh, gave us a good appreciation for multi match 90 and it's one of those things that I, I think i don't think they promoted that much because they, they don't want the fs1 and fs2 broadcasts to be impacted severely in terms of um uh, the the tv ratings going down but if you are into football and you do want to watch all the matches i highly recommend uh, multi match 90 uh, if you haven't done so already So, Karthik, let's move on to the next segment, and that is uh, talking about buying tickets. Uh, Buying tickets to sports uh, events can be way too complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With the seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find uh, the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and there's qu- nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the, the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and uh, it's uh, by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Uh, you can basically be anywhere and just uh, open up the app, and just with a couple of taps, you can find out... Um, uh, t- ticket prices or how many tickets are for, uh, left for sale. For example, I've been looking at the ICC games for this summer. Um, the summer. The user experience is really easy to use, uh, and pretty, pretty simple. Uh, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Uh, it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And with the ICC this summer, Uh, That's key in terms of finding all the different options and finding which ones you're looking for and which are the best prices because there's so many different things to choose from. Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop uh, for tickets on SeatGeek with full full confidence. And uh, best of all, uh, listeners to the World Soccer Talk uh, podcast get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. Then that, that's promo code WSTpod for twenty dollars off your first Seakeek purchase. Now, Kartik, uh, moving on to TV streaming news. Um, the big news that came out um, this past week, and actually uh, still be in Sports, that hasn't officially announced it, but um, for the El Clasico, which is this Sunday, which is going to be live on B in Sports and BN in Sports and uh, Espanol. Uh, BN Sports is gonna have, I believe it's, it's four different, um, cameras, exclusive cameras. So they're gonna have four separate feeds. So you, you'll have the game that's on BN Sports and on BN Sports and Espanol in English and in Spanish but then they're going to have four separate feeds on beIN Sports Connect so they're going to have a, a an iso of real madrid so those cameras will follow real madrid around uh, the game um just so you watch their players if you just want to watch their players they have one on um ba- um <laughs> barcelona on a separate feed uh, they also have a feed that's a sec- uh, second-screen experience, but there's a whole bunch of different feeds, so there's definitely something to check out on being Sports Connect. Um, I'm sure they'll be revealing some more, more details soon in terms of uh, the coverage, but it looks like on the English side, they'll probably have about three hours of pre-game coverage. Uh, the game kicks up, off at 2.45 on Eastern on, on Sunday, and um, Barcelona has to win this game. I mean, the pressure's on them. They're three points behind. Uh, they're playing at Santiago uh, Benabar, so uh, Barcelona has to win this one. So the- And and Madrid has a game in hand still, I believe. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a big test for uh, Barcelona in this one to see w- what they can do. So, Karthik, uh, uh what's the latest news on, on your side?
2: Yeah, so Serie A is going to play Christmas week and New Year's week this uh, coming season, which uh, was uh, quite a shock to me. They've typically broken right before christmas uh, and and uh, remember it's a it's a very catholic country and uh, uh players have uh family commitments and then resume the weekend after new year's now this coming year world cup year they this coming season they're going to break right after new years and come back in late january so uh same length of break same length of time but they're playing through christmas and new year's and uh, let's see let's see how the uh Attendances are and how it's received in in Italy because perhaps this is something they they continue doing. It's in the future.
1: Yeah, and and in other news, um NBC's uh, reached a deal with their TV affiliates. Um, so, so NBC nationwide broadcast an, uh, NBC kind of over the air. Uh, NBC owns, I think it's about, probably about a dozen or about, about 20, um, NBC stations nationwide. But there's a bunch of affiliate stations so that, that these affiliate stations show NBC broadcasts over the air in the local regions. Um, but NBC doesn't own those, those stations. So what NBC has done, they've done a deal with the TV affiliate affiliates um to allow them if they want to they can opt in to internet video distribution agreements so for example um uh, sting tv fubo tv uh playstation view etc um when nbc does a deal with these different uh streaming companies uh the affiliates have an option to be included in these in these contracts so the plus to us the viewers is that um as of right now if you want to watch say uh, your say, say, if it's, a, if it's a game, a Premier League game that's on NBC this Saturday at 12:30 Eastern Time, but it's on your local NBC affiliates. Um, as of today, depending on where you live, you may or may not be able to watch that through Sting TV or or through Fubo TV. But with this deal in place, hopefully, a lot of these uh, affiliates will sign up to the deal and say yes, include us in these options, so we can get some some additional revenue f- uh from NBC. And, uh, hopefully that means that the, at, the the, at the end of the day, hopefully in the next coming weeks or, or months, we'll see more and more NBC, uh, local over the air affiliates added to, um, your Sling TV and to your Fubo TV, etc. So, th- so that's good news for soccer fans, uh, especially for, uh, fans of the Premier League who are, are unable right now to watch those games locally because you're local. Affiliate is uh, doesn't have an agreement. So, anyway, long story short, it's good news for uh, Premier League fans in the USA. Now, Karthik, uh, on to the TV ratings from this past week. Some interesting numbers. Um, I'll just go through a couple. But So, Man United against Chelsea, uh, the game that was on NBCSN. That one was uh, 816 viewers, 816,000 viewers on the Sunday broadcast from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. And that is the second best for a Premier League match on cable this season. Um, the number one so far for uh, the NBC has been Liverpool against Man United on January the 15th of this year. So, so. Pretty big numbers, 816,000 for the Man United against Chelsea uh, game there. Um, In terms of the other numbers, anything else uh, jump out at you? Wait a
2: second. Was the Liverpool-Manchester United match, were those numbers purely NBCSN numbers? Because remember, the second half was on NBC
1: on over the air. Exactly, exactly. So um, combining those numbers together, the Liverpool-Man United that was on NBCSN and NBC, it was over a million but just for the NBC SN number, uh, for Liverpool Man United, it was, um, I guess it was greater than 8, 8, uh, 816,000. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was 900 and something, if I remember, remember cl- correctly.
2: Yeah, so a couple of significant uh, things here. I think Southampton, at Man City on NBC, 784,000 viewers. That really surprised me. There was a Bundesliga game between Bayern and Bayer Leverkusen on at the very same time on Fox that didn't do a particularly good number, just over 300,000. So that surprised me. Again, shows the Premier League versus Bundesliga uh, uh, debate. You could have uh, two teams with, uh, by Bundesliga standards, big followings in the United States. Bayern is a European powerhouse playing on an over-the-air network at the same time as two teams. Man City has developed more of a following the last few seasons, but they're not Man United, they're not Chelsea, they're not Arsenal, uh, they're not Liverpool playing against Southampton, who doesn't have a U.S. following, and that gets a higher rating. I thought the significant takeaway number of the weekend, and I'm sorry uh, people don't like People who are MLS fans, for some reason, don't like us reporting factual numbers. Um, and the league doesn't seem to like it either. But uh, Orlando versus L.A. Galaxy on Over the Air Fox, just 246,000 viewers. It was beat by a Crystal Palace Leicester game, two teams fighting relegation without a U.S. following. Uh, on NBCSN at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, had more viewers than that match. And also, significantly, at the very same time, I mentioned it earlier in the broadcast, uh, in our, in this show, uh, Barcelona and Real Sociedad on BN Sports Español, which I believe is in about 12 or 13 million homes, right? Uh, maybe slightly more homes than that. 403,000 viewers versus the 346,000 viewers for Orlando LA Galaxy, which would have been on in about 100 million homes. So. Right. Uh, uh, would have been available in 100 million homes, excuse me. So that, to me, is a really bad statement about where MLS sits right now uh, with, with their regular season broadcasts. And look, we don't make up these numbers. I, I, I feel compelled to defend us.
1: And, uh, actually, it's a slight correction, though. You said 246 for Orlando LA Galaxy. 346. 346. 346 but, yeah. but still, everything else you said in terms of uh, how Crystal Palace against Leicester and, and the, these other games had more views than Orlando against LA Galaxy are, are valid completely correct also. But yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those things, Karthik. I think, to me, at least, the gig is up. I mean, I think um viewers in the United States are voting, essentially, with what they watch. So, I mean, we've seen like, Liga MX numbers are through the roof. I mean, double the Premier League. So Liga MX is crazy numbers, which is fantastic uh then you've got the premier league um which is averaging i think about 450 to 500,000 viewers and that's across all games across all i mean they show so many games um but the the gig is up i think I mean, as far as major league soccer is that there's there's little there's less interest so 346,000 on over the air fox that channel is in 112 million homes um, compared yeah to, so so it 's huge numbers i mean I mean those should be I mean, it should be guaranteed nothing less than five hundred thousand so the, there 's a reason that people are not watching these games, yes, Barcelona was on it at the same time, uh, but not everyone gets b in sports and whenever there 's game on b in sports, people complain, but people are not watching these games and i I still think my, my personal thing is is that it 's just the games aren 't as meaningful um, and later in the season, hopefully those numbers will increase. But the other interesting thing, Kartik, is that, um, which is smart in a way, but, in, in dumb in another way, but, but Fox is now pairing up the Bundesliga with MLS, with double headers. So we had the Leverkusen against Bayern Munich game. And then right after that was, was this one. Now, this weekend is the Chelsea Spurs uh, FA Cup semi-final. And in some ways, you would think that maybe Fox would say, okay, well, let's actually have the doubleheader with the FA Cup. And then right after that, have the, the MLS crowd uh, game then and have maybe bigger numbers. Well, the numbers for the FA Cup would be much greater than for the Bundesliga. Um, and then hoping that the FA Cup crowd sticks around and, and watches the, uh, the MLS game. They're, they're not doing that this weekend. Um, so, but again, I mean, M- MLS uh, and Bundesliga and Fox are kind of joined at the hip. So, long term, it makes sense for Fox to kind of try to promote the Bundesliga coverage, which is hoping hoping that they that'll help the MLS coverage. But we know that the Bundesliga numbers are low, and we know that the MLS numbers are, are low. So it's almost like a sinking ship in a in a way. though, too is that it, they're, they're not really helping each other out. I don't think there's a lot of there's some overlap, but there isn't a great amount of people going to Bundesliga games, watching those games, and then, and then switching to, to the MLS game that's on right after that. So it's, um, worrying numbers in a way. I mean, hopefully ESPN can do a better job. Uh, the Univision numbers so far that they've had so far this season, um, their numbers are way down. Um, but it's going to be a tough year for Major League Soccer when it comes to TV ratings. So, Kartik, uh, looking at uh, the other TV ratings numbers, um, one of the ones we didn't mention was the the Lifetime one. So that was, I believe, it was eighty two thousand viewers for the uh, Portland Thorns against Orlando Pride. So uh, pr- pretty decent for the first time, first game uh, on the season opener. Has to start somewhere. Uh, it's not too bad. So hopefully that'll increase over time. And uh, anything else? Any any of the numbers that jump out at you?
2: No, and, and I guess I admit I plead guilty not watching that MLS game. I probably I normally would have watched it, but that game, the lifetime game, was on at the very same time that Thorns versus uh, uh, the the Thorns versus uh, Orlando Pride game, and that also created a little bit of problem for Orlando fans, right? Because uh, they had two teams playing at once. So I can understand to a certain extent. Uh, some of the the, the, the uh, difficulty with that rating because of that that women's game.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but that's the thing though too. At the end of the day, I think with Major League Soccer, um, th- there, there are always other options. Well, for the most part, I mean, and that's the thing though too. That's the height of the season to me should be July and August. I mean, where you have the playoffs and the MLS Cup, where there's very little competition in terms of those times of the year, where the calendar is a lot more wide open. But again, we, we, we talked about this one on other shows. Um, so let's move on. So listener mailbag. Um, we have a, an email from Anthony Bello and he says, uh, Gaffer, your idea of a northern and southern conference for Major League Soccer gave me an idea. How about when the league gets to 28 teams, the league divides into four conferences of seven teams? Uh, you would have a Northeast, South, Central and West. Each team would play two matches against each team in, in their conference and one game against uh, every other team in the league. That would be 32, 33 matches. Uh, you would stagger the schedule so that the northeast and central teams are on the road. Um, at the same time, I guess that the southern and western teams are going into and out of the winter break. And then the t- top two teams in each conference make the playoff. Uh, Kartik, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, in fact, I have to say that there's a lot of uh um a lot of debate in my head as to how many conferences and how many how geographically localized we should make competition in this country. And I'm I'm right now inclined towards as many as much as makes sense. So, uh, four conferences of 7 to me makes a lot of sense. And it also limits travel. and I, I also have to mention travel affects the quality of place. one of the one of the factors for why MLS may be less compelling viewing on television is that these teams are traveling great distances to get to the uh, to the to, to the town that they're playing in, unlike in europe. so and it's in the middle of the summer. it's uh, it, it, the heat is prohibitive. weather is prohibitive. So I think uh, anything that can make the competition more interesting and compelling and more localized, Will benefit American soccer and MLS and MLS on television, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, the the regional aspect I like a lot. Um, and, and there's definitely a lot of rivalries on on a, on a regional kind of basis, kind of whether it's, you mean, Southeastern with Orlando and, hopefully in the future, Tampa Bay, but but uh, Atlanta and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, definitely some interesting ideas there. Uh, Clinton Cam uh, sent in an email. He said, uh, I was watching the Man United against Chelsea match on Sunday, and I noticed during the game that there was a couple of handballs done by the United players. One of the obvious ones was by Ander Herrera, which ended up leading to the goal from... Um, Rashford. While his hand was already extended out, the ball hit his hand by accident and somehow the ball managed to be, to luckily be advantageous in Herrera's position as he immediately sent that pass to Rashford. As much as I'm a Man United fan, I was relieved, um, with Madley not calling, uh, not calling the handball. Uh, if I was the referee and I saw that, I would have blown the whistle for the Chelsea free kick, even if, if it was an accident. How can the referees improve the consistency of their calls when errors like this happen? What are your thoughts on this one, uh, I
2: I don't know. It's a it's, it's the, it's the $100 million question. Yeah. I guess it's going to have to be video replay or some sort of mechanism uh, that, uh, that, that evens, out, evens these things out. And takes a second look, but does it quickly enough to where it doesn't impede the way the, the the flow of the match.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things, though. Too, it's there's a lot of subjectivity to it. I mean, was it natural or unnatural? And sometimes you kind of. You look at something and go, okay, yeah, almost have to think about how the player was thinking. And, and I don't know. It's video assistant referees would definitely would help in that instance. Um, but I'm sure in terms of TV broadcasts, I think most of the NBC folks that were, um, analyzing the game on NBC Sports, I think most of them said that, um, yes, it was a handball, but, uh, I think it was okay to let, let it go. It, it wasn't intentional. It was, it was kind of a, uh, it was it was a natural it it, it it was no way that uh he could have done it um you I mean basically kind of a hand to ball type of thing but it, it is difficult and, and and probably on sky or where where wherever else around the world they probably thought okay yeah that should have been a handball so it, it's just extremely difficult i think video assistant referees would help but they're not going to help in all cases i think there's some things that still it's just a. it's a judgment call in terms of whether that was intentional or not um So, questions, feedback, uh let us know through uh, email at web at worldsoccertalk.com, through Twitter at wsoccertalk, or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. So, Karthik, let's move on to our featured topic of the week, and that is which European soccer league will be the most popular in the U.S. in the next decade? What's your thoughts on this one?
2: I think... It will likely be La Liga, and I'll, let me let me explain this. And, and, and right now, obviously, it's the Premier League. The Premier League has had a long run; it's the most popular league in the United States. I think it will be a horse race, but Brexit uh, and the upcoming U- UK general election, which was just called by Prime Minister Theresa May yesterday, will impact this. Um, it, my my feeling is that you will see less and less top foreign players. Go to the uh, to the Premier League in a time where, uh, because they're out of the EU, the Bosman rule doesn't apply, and it's not as uh, it's not easy for, for players who are not national team players who have a significant number of national team caps, national team regulars, I should say, not just national team players, national team regulars, to get a work permit to play for English clubs in the Premier League. So you will have uh, uh, diminishing. Uh, number of top foreign players, particularly French, Belgian, uh, Italian, Spanish, well, there, there are few Italian players, but Spanish, the, the the guys who don't play regularly for Spain's national team but make such an impact in the Premier League, number of guys who play, uh, don't necessarily play for Belgium all the time or France all the time, but may, make a fantastic impact in the Premier League, the Netherlands also, uh, those four countries especially, but everybody else as well. Uh, you'll see a diminishing quality of the Premier League, a diminishing interest. Now, I also think you will also see a situation where because the Premier League is more competitive at the top than La Liga we're already seeing some of this, where there are Manchester United fans who became Manchester United fans because they were winning every year, mm-hmm. who now are less interested in the Premier League because they're finishing fourth or fifth every year. Uh, same thing with Arsenal fans. Same thing with, uh, I think, Liverpool fans are a different, different breed. They support their club regardless. But uh, you see it with some Arsenal fans. You see some disinterest uh, with people who became Man City fans because they were first or second in the league every year and now are finishing fourth every year. So that's... Um, challenge for the Premier League so I think these are are things that uh, work against the Premier League and what's working for La Liga is the consistency of Barcelona and Real Madrid the footprint of those two clubs in the United States and the ethnic tie between uh, Latinos in this country and Spain there are a lot of people who have no connection to England that watch the Premier League who pick a club arbitrarily who may lose interest when that club falls out of the Premier League and gets relegated like we've seen happen with Fulham or uh, is not winning titles constantly like we've seen with Manchester United. Uh, that all having been said, I still think it's very competitive. We could list about 100 reasons why the Premier League is strong and will remain strong in the United States. It's just will it be stronger than La Liga? I think it all depends on where La Liga's television contract ends up. My prediction is if La Liga ends up on Turner Sports or on uh, some net, uh, some network with that kind of distribution and we have a hard Brexit in the UK and – The ability of Premier League clubs to sign players from the European Union is adversely affected. La Liga will surpass the uh, Premier League in the United States in the next five to seven years.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day it's it's all about the TV product. So when we ask like kind of which European soccer league will be the most popular in the US in the next decade, that's really dictated by television because um you I mean if it's difficult to find that league on television, uh even if it's the best league, it's it's probably not going to do that well. And uh, La Liga to me is a, a league that has outgrown being sports. So I think being sports, say, three or four years ago, um, when they acquired the rights to La Liga, at the time, the production quality from television for La Liga was was just like Serie A. It was pretty poor. Nothing like the Premier League in terms of the, the number of cameras, the number of camera angles, all the replays, and, and, and just all of the… Um, kind of even where the position of the cameras in the stadiums. So in the last three or four years, the last two years especially, La Liga has improved incredibly in terms of uh, the television production. And now it's at a level where it's pretty close to the Premier League. Um, and in some ways, when there's games at Barcelona or at, uh, at Real Madrid Stadium, um, in some ways it may even be surpassing um, the Premier League in terms of the television coverage side of things. So... On the football, going back to the football side, I mean, you look at the Champions League now, cartic for the past, I don't know, five years, or even the Europa League too, combine those two together, it's been complete domination, really, by the Spanish clubs. I mean, Sevilla in the Europa League, uh, I mean, this season, not so much, but but in previous years, it's been Sevilla winning winning the title uh, for the Europa League, or at least being in the final Every year you look at uh the Champions League now too, and you look at the Champions League and go, "Okay, in terms of yes, maybe if Chelsea was in it this season, if uh they were playing, they could have gone pretty far but um you mean you look at the English clubs i mean that are out of the tournament um and other than leicester i mean they've, they I mean Arsenal had a poor showing. You kind of get, go down the list, really. Man City was disappointing uh, yet again, unfortunately, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, so to me, when someone's looking at the Champions League and looking at the best clubs in, in Europe and many of the best clubs around the world, they're looking at Spanish domination there. And the other thing too, I mean, even with, even, uh, also with Atleti and Sevilla, I mean, so you got kind of the, the second string, so to speak, of Spanish teams. And you look at Atleti and Sevilla. I mean, I think Atleti or Sevilla probably could beat any of the top teams in the Premier League. Chelsea, maybe it'd be a close game, but I think in terms of the, the playing levels, Atleti and Sevilla, those type of t- teams, kind of the, the b teams so to speak not 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 the the secondary teams but but the teams that are less popular than barcelona and real madrid even those are wiping the floor um with the, the premier league clubs at the end of the day uh, i think especially in the united states i mean you look at you go to any soccer park you go outside and look at um kids wearing uh soccer shirts almost all of them are wearing barcelona shirts or real madrid shirts I and mean, the, the number of messi shirts or ronaldo shirts uh, are absolutely incredible and there's no doubt that uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are incredibly popular in the United States. And we saw that too with uh, El Clásico Miami coming up by, in July. That the amount of tickets that were sold, forty-six thousand, within within a week, actually within a few days, I think it was forty-one thousand, and then they opened up for general sale, went up to forty-six pretty quickly after that. And by this point, who knows if they're at fifty or sixty or seventy uh, thousand tickets sold. And two years ago, we had Manchester United against Liverpool that played in the same stadium uh, in the International Champions Cup. And uh, that one, there was a shorter ticket window because we didn't know who was going to be playing in that final until, I think, about four or five days before that game. But um, we had, I don't know, 40,000 p- people there, perhaps. It, the stadium was half empty for Manchester United against Liverpool. And and that's just a local example, but you look on a national scale in terms of the popularity among these kids, really, of of Barcelona and Real Madrid is incredible. I mean, my local AYSO, there's a couple of kids on that team that can recite every single player on the Real Madrid team. They know which position they play. They watch every single game. And these are kids that are eight, nine 10 years old. So imagine them as they becoming, I mean, moving into teens and watching more and more of uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona. That's just going to continue to grow. And you see that to a certain degree with Premier League clubs, but not nearly as much as with, uh, with La Liga clubs. So, so going back to what you said in the beginning, Kartik, I agree with you. I think La Liga is the one that's going to, I think it's, it's, it's a slam dunk. Unless, unless, I mean, the big thing is, is that so La Liga has outgrown being sports. If La Liga could get onto, say, a Fox, or or a Univision, or ideally both of them, Univision for the Spanish language games, and then Fox uh, for the actual uh, English English language games, I think the numbers would be massive. I mean, we've seen in, in previous weeks, just the last few weeks, uh, even on being sports, Real Madrid and Barcelona games, uh, are getting more than half a million viewers on a channel that people still complain that they can't get. Imagine if that those games were on Fox uh, or Big Fox or, or Univision. Those numbers would, would go through the roof. Um, the other thing, too, I think um, the way that La Liga has their uh, schedule set up, um, they've been changing things a lot. Um, and it's something with the Premier League. Um, imagine if the Premier League said, OK, now we're going to take the, the 10 o'clock kickoffs uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time on Saturdays, which is 3 p.m. local time (UK time), and take those, and instead of having four or five games at that time, we're going to have one game at that time, and then move those other games throughout the the weekend calendar. People in England would freak out; they would have protests, there would be marches, there would be the Football Federa- Supporters Federation would, would be uh, campaigning. There'd be nasty articles in the press, in the Guardian, etc. But La Liga has already done that. La Liga has every single game that they play um, on every single weekend, there's no overlap. There's one game on Friday. There's usually three or four on the Saturday, back to back to back to back. On the Sunday, they usually have, uh, I think, about three or four. And then they have the one game on, on the Monday. And again, there's no overlap at all. So from a TV viewing experience, if you want to watch every single La Liga game, Uh, and not have one team playing at the same time as another La Liga team, you can do it, and it's already happening today. One more thing is that the league, the Spanish league, is making a, a huge effort to promote La Liga in the United States. So, for example, El Clasico this Sunday, they're having a rooftop party in New York City, I think on Fifth Avenue, and they're going to have Raul there. They're going to be broadcasting the game live there. But this is the league that's doing this. Um, we've seen this in other countries. We've seen this in Africa and in Asia where the premier league has had uh hosted basically you know basically huge huge uh, viewing parties uh, in parks with on giant screen TVs uh, the premier league has done none of that in the united states so la liga is already kind of ahead of the premier league in terms of just trying to do some things some events and things to get people really really kind of captivated more so by by, um, by la liga and, uh, get them to, to love La Liga as well as lo- loving La Liga clubs. So I think they're ahead of the, the Premier League there too. But, um, all in all, I think it's, if, if La Liga can get onto a Fox or a Univision, uh, or a major network like, like Turner, I think it's a slam dunk. I think that La Liga, it's not just Barcelona and Real Madrid anymore. I mean, you've got Atleti and Sevilla and Villarreal. Um, the caliber of, of those teams has increased incredibly too. And at the end of the day, you've got the best players from around the world playing in La Liga. And as much as I love the Premier League, um, I, I see that uh, La Liga, if they get an opportunity to move, which is going to be, I think, 20, 2019, I think it is, for the next TV deal, um, they can definitely get a slam dunk a, a, and uh, get bigger than the Premier League, which is which is incredible to say.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I have to say personally, I'm partial. I'm hoping that the Premier League, stays on top uh, of the game here in the United States because it's the league I prefer. It's the league I'm most connected to and the league I watch uh, by far the most of any European football league. But uh, I just see all of these things adding up, the case you've laid out and the case I've laid out, which are actually different cases, but they, they come to the same conclusion, which is that La Liga will likely overtake the Premier League if the circumstances we see playing out do, in fact, play out in the next five to seven years.
1: Yeah. I mean, just imagine if uh, La Liga had a broadcast that was just as good as uh, NBC's broadcast. And, I mean, this, this past weekend in terms of all the, the, the magazine shows and all the kind of um, pitch side studios and all of that. If, if, if there was a Turner or a Fox or somebody um, that could deliver that type of, you I mean, television programming and for games at the, the, the end of the day, there are more entertaining than, than many of the Premier League games. Yes, I love the Premier League games too, but he I means La Liga, for the most part, is definitely a league above. So um it's there, it's possible. And I, I think La Liga especially seem to be more open to change, more open to change things, which um I'm not sure how that's going down in Spain in terms of how that's been received by the supporters, but they definitely are dead set on the United States, North America and Asia on um, surpassing the Premier League and I I think they'll get there I I really do so Kartik, where can uh, listeners find you on Twitter
2: you can find me at kkfla737
1: excellent okay well thanks for listening you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday every episode is released on SoundCloud YouTube Stitcher iTunes Audioboom and worldsoccertalk.com and if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review and, Kotic, over to you. Enjoy your football.
0: Planning for your next trip?